0: If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. We'll be in Luke's Gospel this morning, reading from the second chapter as we read and consider Luke's account of Jesus' birth. Luke gives us more information than any of the other Gospel writers. Matthew tells us a little bit, um, not a whole lot. Mark and John just go straight into the adult life of Jesus. You don't even get anything of his childhood from them. But Luke takes a little more time. And so as we consider the story of Christ's birth, I want to encourage you to take a little more time in these days to read, not just to look it over and say, oh yeah, I know what happens, but to sit and read and to comprehend what it means. God promised through the prophet Isaiah, for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulders In his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. God has been working throughout human history, and this morning we come to the point where the Messiah is born. Stand with me as we read from Luke chapter 2. We will read 21 verses. Luke chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. This is God's word. among those with whom He is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, They made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And as the shepherds returned, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Father, if we read of the birth of your Son, through the power of your Spirit, use your words to make an eternal difference in our hearts. May they not just be words on a page. May they not just be a story from long ago. May they impact every moment of our lives. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Luke writes his gospel so that we will have certainty. He tells us, in fact, so much We read a few weeks ago in Luke chapter 1 verse 4 that he says at the very end that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Luke's primary purpose in writing his gospel is that we will know, not just so that we will understand, not just so that we will assent, not just so that we will agree, but so that we will know that we know that we know. Luke wants us to be absolutely certain, so certain that we're willing to put our entire lives on what we've been taught, on what God has told us. He doesn't want us flip-flopping. He doesn't want us back and forth. He doesn't want us on the sea of tossed and, and stormy waves, just Back and forth to and fro trying to decide should I or shouldn't I should I do this or not should should I do that instead he doesn't want us back and forth he doesn't want us wishy-washy flip-floppy he wants us certain standing on the rock knowing for sure exactly what God has told us is true and because he wants us to be certain he gives us details he tells us In verse 1, in those days, there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Your version may say all the world should be taxed. The purpose of the registration was tax. In verse 2, this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Why would he give us all that information so that we'll know? He doesn't want this to be a story of a long, long time ago in a land far, far away that has no impact on us. See, what Luke has found about Christ is that he changes everything. And if we are certain in who Jesus is and what he has done, it will make an impact on us. And so he gives us details. He says, Caesar Augustus said, all the world should be taxed. Quirinius is governor of Syria. He wants us to be sure. He wants us to be certain. But he doesn't just tell us that just so that we'll know When it happens, he tells us that so that we can know why it happens. Mary and Joseph lived in Nazareth. Nazareth is about three days' journey from Jerusalem. It's up in the north. Jerusalem and just to the southwest, Bethlehem, are down around the south. It takes a while. And why, if you're pregnant and you're about to give birth to a baby, why in the world would you go on a three day journey by donkey or horse or walking. Why in the world would you do that? Now, maybe it's because she was desperate to get this baby out of her. Some of y'all know that feeling. But why would they go from Nazareth down to Bethlehem? What's interesting is, well, hold hold that thought for just a second, because God, God has planned it this way. And what Luke is going to show us is not just that this birth is something that happened, but it's something that had been predicted and it's something that had been planned and prepared for. Because remember, Luke wants us to be certain. And one of the things that we can be certain about God is that he is in control. He is in charge. Look with me at verse 3. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. So the decree went out. Everybody go back to your own town to be registered. It's like when we vote today. You you go to vote. You have to vote at a specific place. You can't just vote anywhere. You can't just say, I'm going to vote in Texas. Well, if you don't live in Texas, you don't get to vote in Texas. And even if you do live in Texas, you can't vote in Dallas when you live in Austin. You can't vote in Birmingham if you live in Prattville, right? You have to go to your polling place, right? Why do they do that? Because it's a whole lot easier for everybody that lives here to go to this place and us vote on the things that apply to the residents of this area, right? It makes it easier for them to cast the ballots. It makes it easier for them to make sure that you're voting on the things that you should be voting on. That's exactly what they're doing in this case. They want to tax folks. And so to tax them, they got to register them. It's not like the IRS where every year they're sending in tax forms. This is this is a special occasion. Caesar has said, I need some tax money. And so he gets everybody registered so that he can make sure he gets the right amount of tax money. But in order to be registered, you got to go to your specific place. And for, for Joseph, that's Bethlehem, verse 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was a house of the house and lineage of David. He is David's great, 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 whatever, grandson, right? He's in that line. And David was born and raised in Bethlehem. So Joseph's town is Bethlehem. And not only Joseph, Mary's was too, by the way. So he brings along Mary, verse 5, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who is with child. Now we have the couple going from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Isn't it amazing how God works? You see, because back, I don't know, 700, 720 years prior, there was a prophet by the name of Micah who said, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, Though who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, From whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. What he's saying is this this person that I'm promising, this this ruler who would be the son of David, of whom the kingdom will never pass from his hand. The one that I promised to David would sit on the throne forever and ever. That son, that descendant would be born in Bethlehem. But Mary and Joseph live in Nazareth. So what does God do? God says, I got this. He puts in Caesar's mind, don't you need some tax money? Caesar says, I need some tax money. And then he gets, he gets to some folks in the area that are going to administer this registration that Caesar has called for and says, don't you want everybody to go to their own town? And isn't Joseph's own town Bethlehem? So shouldn't he return there? And shouldn't he bring along his wife, Mary? You see, God has taken what looks like random things, what looks like things that you don't even know he's working. People that don't even recognize God. The Caesar thinks he is God. He doesn't know the true God. And God is using him. In his providence and his wisdom and his sovereignty to make sure that that Caesar puts out that decree to get that man from the town where he's living down to the town where he needs to be with his wife so that she can give birth to the Messiah in the place where God said he would be born. This is God orchestrating human history to do what he wants to do. This isn't just a, a birth of a baby. This is God's plan And he's moving heaven and earth to make sure it happens. You think your problems are too big for God. You show me a problem. I'll show you a God that's bigger. You show me something that you think is impossible. And I'll show you a God who is the God of the impossible. This woman shouldn't have even been pregnant in the first place. Oh, but your problems are too big for him. Please, please. He's the one who can orchestrate history to do exactly what he wants to do. And while they were there, verse 6, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. I want you to hold the image of a baby wrapped up in these swaddling cloths and lying in a manger for just a minute, but the inn may have been a guest room. It may have been a specific place. It may have been in a cave. We're not exactly sure. The word has multiple meanings. Don't think hotel room of today's mindset. We know that wasn't it. One of the things we often miss in this is we we get this picture that they're far away away from everybody else, and there's no one else around, and it's quiet. I mean, we just sang Silent Night. I'm not so convinced that that picture is right. If this registration is happening, there's not just going to be one or two folks traveling. There's going to be tons of people traveling. Bethlehem would suddenly overnight become a bustling town. There'd have been people everywhere. The baker, I could overhear conversations where the baker is saying, I ran out of flour. I couldn't cook enough bread for all these folks. I'm going to have to get some help to help me make enough so that I can make sure everybody gets bread. I can picture the shepherd saying, all these people, man... We're trying to keep these sheep out here, and all these folks coming by, the sheep are skittish, they're running all over the place, they don't know what to do with themselves. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the guy whose job it is to clean up? Can you imagine the street sweeper of sorts? The one who's trying to make sure that the streets are clean from all the donkeys and things? Yeah, don't you think he's complaining? Dust is flying around, in the air because folks are moving constantly back and forth. Businesses are booming, but they 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 there's too much. There's nowhere to stay. What are we going to do? All this influx of people, and we think it was like, all right. So they go there. Soon as they get there, Mary has the baby, like immediately, and then after that, they they pretty well stay overnight or whatever, and then they pack up and go back home. Right? No. When the wise men come to visit year, year and a half, two years later, Matthew tells us they're still in Bethlehem. This is a long drawn out affair. And I don't know about you, but I've met maybe I've rethought maybe I've been thinking all wrong about this story. Maybe I've thought of it as a cute little tale, and I've missed everything that God has done. And maybe when I picture that baby in a manger, wrapped up in swaddling cloths, maybe I miss what all God has done in that moment. In that Beautiful night that I'm pretty sure wasn't silent. I could hear around the hills the bleating of sheep. Would have been the only place in Israel you heard that. Uh, agriculture had suffered because there were so many sheep all over the place it was hard to grow food. Because not only were they growing sheep, they were growing goats. And I don't know if you all know about goats, but goats eat just about anything. So they couldn't they couldn't grow food. So during the second temple period, there were laws banning the growth of sheep or the, the having of sheep and goats throughout most of Israel. The only exception was the area of Bethlehem because they needed it for the temple. And so these, these sheep and these goats that would be sacrificed in the temple would be grown and raised in Bethlehem. And the shepherds there weren't just poor shepherds that nobody cared about. These were experts. They knew exactly how to grow these sheep and these goats to be unblemished so they could be used in the temple. I mean, it was their livelihood. They better. If they didn't figure it out, they wouldn't be able to sell them. They'd be in trouble. It's kind of the, um, you got one big customer, so you better not mess up that account, that thought. So it's, so it's kind of interesting then, because what they would do with these sheep when these lambs were born, just before they were born, they would take the mothers, the ewes into an area that would be spe- specifically for birthing, so that when these lambs were born, they could make sure they were without blemish. Out in the field, anything can happen, but here they could control it. And then as soon as they were born, they'd take a quick look, make sure there wasn't anything wrong first, and then they'd wrap them up in these swaddling clothes, just like you'd wrap up a baby. And guess where they'd put them? In a manger. Here's a picture of a, Here's a picture of a lamb that's going to be used for a temple sacrifice, swaddled, laying in a feeding trough. And here's a picture of our Savior without blemish, who would be the ultimate sacrifice for our sins, swaddled, laying in a feeding trough. Maybe we've been looking at this all wrong. Maybe we've been looking at this as though it's a a nice little story, when we should have been looking at it as this is God's provision. So it's no shock that after the birth, the first persons that hear about it are the ones who are nearby. Verse 8, in the same reason region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Those flocks that would eventually provide sacrifices for the temple. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. I don't blame them. I would have been filled with great fear too. And the angel said to them, fear not. <laughs> That's easy for him to say. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. I've read that so many times. And as good as that is, I keep wondering, am I missing something? Is there something that I haven't considered? Well, I found one thing. Back in verse 9 or verse 10, I bring you good news of great joy. You know what that word is? Bring good news? It's our word for evangelize. We think of telling the story of Jesus. Tell me the story of Jesus. We think of that as a good thing to do, but a hard thing to do. I wonder how many angels were begging for that job assignment. I can picture in heaven, God standing there like, all right, somebody's going to have to tell the shepherds. And I see like a thousand angel hands go up, me, 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 pick me. (laughs) Let me do it, let me do it, let me do it. It's so great that there's a whole host, a multitude of angels that have to join in. All right, you get to deliver it, but we get to praise God afterwards, right? There's a whole bunch of them. We want to be in on this too. It is a joy and a privilege to show people what you have learned. To tell people what God has done. It's a joy. and and but but we we're too caught up in our own problems, and we miss it. We'd much rather have our tame little story that makes us smile and completely miss what God has done. I have good news of great joy for all people, and it's still good news of great joy. For unto you is born this day. Watch what he calls this child in the city of David a savior. Who is Christ, the Lord, Savior? That's the one who delivers. Christ, that's the Anointed One of God, the one that's been promised from ancient times, the one who we have been looking forward to ever since the Garden of Eden, and we and, and Adam and Eve ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and we've been begging God to do something, yearning for God to bring redemption. That's the one He's promised, and Lord, well, that's Master. That's the one who's in control, the savior, Messiah, master, the one who redeems, who fulfills God's promise and who exercises his authority. That's who's born. Yeah, he's a cute little baby, but he's more than just a baby. When I, when my kids were born, all of them, each one I held in my hands and I thought, what are you going to be? What are are you going to do? What does God have in store for you? Let me tell you what God has in store for this babe. Ours looks a lot nicer than his would. Ours is smooth and looks like it's got a little bit of stuff on it to keep it looking nice. Ours is hung delicately. Not his. That's what awaited him. A sacrifice that is um Diedrich Bonhoeffer said would not only bring peace between God and man but between men. One who would bring peace and make it possible for us to know God and not have to tremble in fear because of the punishment of our sin. Now that's not to mean that we get to skate by free and never get any consequences. But what it means is that he takes our sin and he puts it on Christ's shoulders and Christ bears the death that we deserve and we are able to stand before God completely justified because of Christ's righteousness put on us. It's definitely an unfair trade, y'all. And that little baby, that would be the one who does it. This is a story that's not just a warm and comfortable fairy tale kind of story. This is a story of God's redemption God putting on flesh, becoming one of us so that he could die for us and rise again. Not, not just a baby being born and look how nice. He's going to be our Savior. But to do that, he has to be the sacrifice. He's Christ, Messiah, and he's Master, Lord. And how will you know him? You've seen plenty of lambs wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in mangers, but you've never seen a human baby like that. That's how you'll know it's him. At this point, it's good to ask, do you know the Savior, the Christ, the Lord? Is Jesus Christ the one who has saved you from sin? The one who has put God's anointing on you, who has taken control of your heart, of your life? The Christmas story shows us the coming of the King, but there is another coming. He is coming back. And make no mistake about it, he's not coming as a baby. He's coming in the full authority and glory of God. Are you ready? Are you ready? Father, I pray that we would be ready for your coming. Prepare us in this time as we seek your will. Prepare us as we consider the birth of your son. Help us to not see him as a baby in a manger, far removed from the every day of our lives. But may we see him as Lord, as Christ, as Savior. Thank you for sending your Son. May he have an eternal impact on our lives for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.